0: You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. with uh, well, the holidays are upon us, which means a lot of things, but it also means family traditions and holiday traditions of all kinds. Uh, our staff team used to, have, used to have this tradition at our st- Christmas parties. Uh, it, it involves Amy Stuman Pretending like she's going to give you a gift And then faking you out And then pretending like she's going to give it to somebody else And that goes on and on And then at some point, Todd Stuman jumps on somebody And yells at them And you can't even picture that, can you? It's what made the tradition so great Until one year, we had some new people come to the party And they were experiencing it firsthand And that's when you find out you know, That your cool traditions aren't you know <laughs> And that was the end of that tradition We didn't do that anymore Newlyweds experience this. You go to the other, you know, your spouse's family's house and you start to tell them, this isn't normal. People don't do this kind of thing. And even in the church, we have holiday traditions, right? We, we light the Advent candles, for example. It's a tradition that's been happening for uh, hundreds of years in the church. Well, today uh, we're talking about a ritual or a tradition that Jesus gave us. Uh, the communion meal. It's often called called the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, the Last Supper. It all means the same thing. It's the communion meal. Now, this isn't just a tradition. It's a sacrament. Jesus didn't command us to light candles. We just do that. He did command this. A sacrament is just a visible sign that points to the invisible work of God's grace in our lives. And in in the New Testament, we have two sacraments, baptism and communion. And so communion is this ongoing meal that reminds us and points to the work of God's grace in our lives. What he has done for us and what he continues to do by his spirit uh, for us today. And the reason we're talking about that communion meal today is because we're in the middle of this series or toward the end of it. ...where we're looking through the Gospel of Matthew... ...and we're picking out these personal encounters... ...that people have with Jesus. Uh, We've been eager to find out... ...what does it mean to encounter him personally? Not just know stuff about him... ...but to know him. And it strikes me... ...nowhere is he more personally present... ...than in the communion meal. When he gives the meal to his disciples... ...he's present with them... ...as an intimate encounter... ...and when we take the meal... He's present with us. So there's a lot to learn from this meal. Some of you uh, grew up taking communion at church, and so this is pretty familiar to you. It's just, you know, it's what you do after the sermon or some other time. But it's possible that because it's familiar, you just haven't given it a whole lot of thought lately. Uh, Some of you grew up in churches where you didn't take communion, so this this is a little new to you. When you came here, it might have felt, I don't know, ritualistic or formal in some way. And some of you uh, didn't grow up in church, and so this is just another thing on the list of weird things that Christians do. It's like, well, okay, <laughs> add that to the list. Most people, um, whatever your background is, have this, we have this shared experience, which, which I call the, the communion panic moment. And it's that moment where you don't know if you're doing it right. You ever have, yeah, you have that. Look, I'm a professional, and I have this moment, you know? Like, I was, uh, a month or two ago, my son and I went and visited this new church down by us, and... It came time for communion, and I'm just like, okay, what, what are we doing here? How do we do this? Because they do it differently than we do. And the whole way up, I'm, I'm looking at the people in front of me. I'm like, what, is he eating it? Is he just, is he holding on to it? What happens here? I'm so busy thinking about how to do it that I'm missing the whole thing, what's happening in the meal itself. Uh, last week, Todd and I were in Guatemala City at a partner church uh, called Iglesia Reforma. And sure enough, communion comes around. Now, granted, it's in Spanish, so like, give me a little slack here. But again, I'm just going, what do you do here? Because, you know, we all went up, but then they took the cup, and then they didn't drink it. They took it back to their seat. I was like, oh, okay, okay, take it back to the seat. You know, a panic moment, missing the whole point of the meal because I'm just trying to, you know, do it right. Uh, Traditions can be really meaningful and, and really powerful. But the challenge with rituals is that they can become ritualistic, right? They can just become motions that we go through. They can lose their meaning on us. And I think something really powerful is happening in the communion meal. And I do not want its meaning to be lost on us. I so badly want us to get everything that God is offering us in this meal, in this sacrament. And so that's our aim today. This is either kind of a shortish sermon or a really long setup for communion. You, You can pick, however, if you're a glass half empty or half full kind of person. Uh, But that's our aim today, to get a better understanding of this meal, what we do, what it means, and how we partake of it. And to get there, I'd say big picture, you've got to understand this. The communion meal is a gospel meal. The gospel is just good news. It's, It's a proclamation of good news. But that proclamation also calls for a response from those who hear it. So when Jesus came preaching. uh, This was his message. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. See, so he's proclaiming good news, and he's telling us how to respond. And because the communion meal is a gospel meal, the same thing is true. It proclaims something, the good news, and it calls us to respond in the same way, to repent and believe in the gospel, And so let's start with the meaning of the meal. Uh, what is being declared in this sacrament? Well, the meaning is all uh, wrapped up in the setting. Look at verse 17. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, uh, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city and a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them and they prepared the Passover. Do you see what Matthew's trying to say? It's the time of the Passover. That's when this is happening. And the Passover was a Jewish ritual going back for hundreds, thousands of years to remember their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. The first Passover meal, the original Passover meal is in Exodus 12. And if if you're familiar with that story, you know that on that night, God was about to perform the last of the 10 plagues. It was the worst of the 10. All of the firstborn in, in Egypt were going to die that night. All the firstborn in the land. And Israel is in the land. Their firstborn were at risk too. See, God's judging Egypt, but there is this reminder here that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is to say, God has the right to their firstborn too. They're guilty. God could justly let his wrath, his judgment fall upon Israel on that night. But he doesn't. He makes a provision for them. There's a way that they can escape the judgment that's coming. And here's what they had to do. They had to go find a lamb, not just any lamb, but a a perfect spotless lamb without blemish. They had to sacrifice the lamb and drain the blood and take the blood and paint it over the doorposts of their house. And so that's what they did. This is what God tells them. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood... I'll pass over you. That's why we call it the Passover meal. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. See, the blood is a sign that points to some reality. The reality is that there has been a sacrifice made for their sin. And the blood signifies their faith in that. And that's what happened. When the destroyer came that night to the Israelite houses, he saw the blood on the door. He saw that their their sin had been atoned for. The penalty had been paid. And so he passed over their house. For thousands of years since that night in Egypt, the Jewish people, Israel, had been offering up sacrificial lambs to God to atone for their sin. Every year, in every household, the father would stand up and preside over the meal. He would explain what they were eating and what it all meant. He would hold up the bread and he would say, this is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. And he would hold up a a cup of wine and he would say, this cup. See, for Israel, a cup of wine symbolized the, the wrath of God. And so he would say... He would hold up the cup and he says, This was the judgment that came upon Egypt. And he would shake the cup and he would name each of the ten plagues. And every time he named it, he would shake the cup and some blood would, or some wine would spill out. There wasn't blood on the cup, wine would spill out. But it was to represent the spilling of the blood from God's wrath and judgment. And he would talk about the lamb that their fathers ate, that it was an offering to the Lord. And that because of it, the Lord passed over their houses that night that he struck down the Egyptians. This is the meal that Jesus is now presiding over in Matthew 26. Except when Jesus explains what the meal is, there's a little twist. Look at verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, just like all Israelite fathers would be doing. And after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus takes the bread and he holds it up and he says, This is the bread of affliction, not the affliction of our fathers, but my affliction. This is my body. This was no longer about the affliction in Egypt. This was about the affliction that he was about to endure on the cross. And he held up the cup of wine and he said, drink of it all of you for this is my blood poured out for the many, for the forgiveness of sins. See, the cup was no longer about God's judgment against Egypt. It was about the judgment that Jesus would take upon himself for our sin. His blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Now there's no mention of the lamb in this text. I think it's because maybe the lambs, there is no lamb on the table. Because the lamb is presiding over the meal. Jesus is the lamb of God. He would be offered up as a sacrifice. His blood would be our atonement. And this is how the story of the lamb was always going. You know, uh, in Genesis... Uh, a a lamb is sacrificed when, when Abraham offers up Isaac a lamb is sacrificed for one person, Isaac in Exodus a lamb is sacrificed for a household in Leviticus lambs are sacrificed for the nation but when Jesus comes on the scene John the Baptist looks at him and says behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and Jesus is saying I'm that lamb indeed Just as the lamb was a substitute for the firstborn sons of Israel, the firstborn son of God, Jesus is a substitute for us. This is the meaning of the meal. Jesus died the death that we deserve to die. That's why Peter says, you were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now, how do you respond to such alarming but good news? Well, remember, when Jesus announced the good news, the kingdom of God is at hand, he called for a response, and the response was to repent and believe in the gospel. And so we received the meal the same way, with repentance and faith. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. When Jesus said, The kingdom of God's at hand, repent and believe the gospel, he's saying there's a reality that you need to be aware of, right? Because everybody in his day, just like our day, is going about their lives pursuing some vision of the good life. And Jesus is saying, Yeah, yeah, I know that you're all trying to build your kingdoms, but, but the kingdom of God is at hand. God is present god is accessible in me his power is available to you now in light of that reality i think you should rethink what you think life is all about i think you should reconsider how you define the good life in light of the fact that god is now here and so that's what he means by repent he means change the way you're thinking about things there's something much better The same is true for us. All week long, we're distracted by selfish ambition. We're distracted by the pursuit of our own kingdoms of comfort or power or security or reputation. And every week, we're brought back to this table where we're reminded the kingdom of God is at hand. We're brought back to the reality of broken body and shed blood. Because even though you can't see the kingdom of God, it's invisible, it is no less real than this bread and this wine. And this meal points us to that invisible reality. The meal calls out, hey, think about what you're doing. Reconsider all your pursuits and what you think life is about in light of the fact that Jesus has come and is here. I want to look at how this plays out in the text. Repentance and faith. Look at verse 20. So they prepared the meal and they're they're there and Jesus hasn't explained it yet. That's in 26, but in, this little thing happens in between. Verse 20. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the 12, and as they're eating, he said, "Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me." Now, this is the this is the inner group. These guys have been running together for three years. We're at the end, and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they were very sorrowful. And they began to say to him, one after another, is it I, Lord? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him, for that man, if he had not been born. Judas who would betray him answered is it I rabbi and he said to him you have said so lots of confusing things here but let me point out a couple of things Uh, when it says and they came to him one after another most people think that this suggests some series of like private interviews so it all it takes place over a lot greater amount of time than what we're reading here so Jesus says one of you is going to betray me and then there's some time in which they come to him they're like Jesus is it is it me and when Jesus says the, the one who's dipped his hand in the, in the in, as you say a cup, the bowl, the, whatever it is, he's the one who will betray me in the dish. Well, they had a dish where they would all dip the bread and the herbs and the spices. And so all he's saying is, it's one of you for sure. And so there's this great tension where the, none of them are sure who it is, but they're all certain that it's one of them. Judas tips his hand in the way that he addresses Jesus. They all say, is it I, Lord? But when he comes, he says, is it I, Rabbi? And we've seen this in Matthew before. Matthew has ways of telling us, in the way that people address Jesus, what they think of him. Rabbi is a term that's used by people who are outside the group. And Judas' heart has already left. He's, he's outside the group, and he calls him Rabbi. Here's the interesting thing to me. The interesting thing to me is that none of them know for sure... That it's not them. Which I think is really healthy. I think all of them have a really healthy sense that they're capable of anything. And indeed, in just a matter of time, they're all going to desert him one way or the other. So the call to repentance is always part of the meal. Before they take and eat, they all have a conversation with Jesus to make sure they're okay with him. Are we? Are we okay? In preparation to take the meal, we come to God and we ask Him, "What about me, Lord? Are we okay?" We, we take words like Psalm one thirty nine and we make them our prayer. We say, "Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. And if there's any wicked way in me, reveal it, and lead me in the way that's everlasting." Do you see the repentance and the faith? The repentance that says, I want to turn away from all the wicked things and the faith that says, you can lead me in the way everlasting. That's a a communion prayer. So after Jesus says, one of you will betray me, then he says, take and eat, drink of it, all of you. These are words of assurance. he's, He's giving them He's giving them a sign of his covenant. So one of them is about to betray him and meanwhile he's making a covenant with them that says, I will never betray you. So we take and eat and we drink. Not because we've cleaned ourselves up. But because we know we need the cleansing that only he can bring. Repentance isn't for perfect people. I'm sorry, communion is not for perfect people. It's for repentant people. Uh, and Bach has, a, in St. Matthew's Passion, he has this whole musical this, uh, where they walk through the Passion Week in Matthew's Gospel. And when you, when you come to this point in the, in the story where the question, where they're posing the question, is it I, Lord? Bach then has the whole congregation Join in with the choir and everyone sings together, it's me, I must atone, and all that you endured, I deserve. Can you imagine that? That you're just watching this wonderful play, this musical unfold, and they're asking the question, is it I? Is it I? am like, oh yeah, I get that. I know that part of the story. And all of a sudden, now you're part of it. All of a sudden, now you're called into confession and you have to say, It is me. I must atone. See, this is how you experience the gospel. You sense your deep need. You sense the judgment that you deserve for your sin, the weight of it. But then in its place, you take hold of the mercy of God toward you in Christ. Repentance reveals this deep hunger in our souls faith satisfies the hunger by taking hold of Christ so this meal is a gospel meal but it's not just about restoring fellowship with God because the gospel also reconciles us one to another In Ephesians 2 Paul says that the Jews and the Gentiles people that don't like each other have been reconciled that Jesus has made peace by his blood And so when we take the communion meal, we're not just thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about the community of people that God has called us to. The Passover meal was always a family meal. You always celebrated it with your family. Which makes this scene really interesting because Jesus is having the meal with his disciples. Why is he doing that? Because he's making them his family. This is the good news of the gospel. that In Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. Sons and daughters of God, we're brothers and sisters one to another. Every time we eat this meal, we're renewing our covenant with God and our commitment with each other. We should never think of this meal individualistically. We're one body in Christ. Now, that's not to say that we lose our individuality in Christ. We're made uniquely and we're gifted uniquely. That's part of what makes the body of Christ so beautiful. There, there's a unity and a diversity. And so even though we all come up here and we take from the same bread, we do it in our own way. And so I, I kind of get a first, first row seat to this. And so some of you, you know, when you take the bread, you're very polite. You just, you just take a little piece, you dip it in the... It's, it's like I don't even know you're there almost because it's just everything is very discreet. Some of you are very aggressive. It's like you come in with both hands and you grab the bread and then it's like I'm not even holding it for you and then you rip off like a family, family meal of four you dip it in you're just making a mess right? I like both of those uh, some of you are shakers you dip it in and you, get all, and you have to do something because the wine's dripping and you don't want to get it on things right? and some of you just deal with that in a different way you're sort of like the chips and salsa you dip it in and you, you know, Think it in right way. I could go on and on, but some of you are starting to get a little self-conscious about that. (laughs) Am I a shaker? Am I a faker? Because there's fakers too. I'll I'll tell you what that is later. Um, There's so many different ways. You have so many different styles of taking communion. I actually love all of it. I get a kick out of it because it just reminds me of of the uniqueness of the body, that there are so many stories, so many experiences, so many different kinds of people all coming around one table. It is It is wonderful. And beautiful. That's one of the reasons we do it the way we do. We, we, we don't serve you out there. We want you to come down here. We want you to walk past one another and see each other. When you get down here, it gets a little tight, you know. So you have to be aware of other people. You have to sort of defer to one another, make eye contact. and Inevitably, every week, somebody bumps into somebody because, you know, they forgot. And they have to say, oh, well, I'm sorry about that. And I love the whole thing. Because it just reminds me that, that we take this meal together. You have to be aware of the body when you take the meal like this. You can't think of it individualistically. Taking the meal together is actually a, a pretty key phrase. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, this is the most significant passage about communion in the New Testament. We're just going to look at it briefly. Paul's writing uh, the church in Corinth about their practice of communion. And unfortunately, it's not for good reasons. They're messing it up. And it's so important to him. He takes some time to bring the correction that they need. That's what he says. Just listen. He says, In the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions Among you. A few verses later, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So there's a way to take communion in which brings guilt upon yourself concerning the meal. And in, in simple language, it just means this you're taking a meal that is a gospel meal. You're proclaiming and professing something when you take the meal. And Paul's just saying if you are proclaiming and professing something and living contrary to that, you're drinking judgment upon yourself, you're being a hypocrite. All right, so whoever takes the meal in an unworthy manner is guilty of this. And so he says, let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Okay, so here's the question that's brewing. What does it mean to take it in an unworthy manner? What am I examining exactly? Then he says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, without recognizing the body, without being aware that there are other people here, who have needs. Anyone who does that eats and drinks judgment on himself. So then, my brothers, hear the family language, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. Now, they they took communion in a way that was different than us. It was a whole meal going on. But you hear the principles? The principles are, We come together for this meal. And because we come together for this meal, no one can be thinking primarily about themselves but must look to the interests of others. If you take the meal and you're not mindful of the community that you're in, you're being a hypocrite because the meal says, I've called you into a community. Communion is meant to depict our unity in Christ and therefore calls for a response of reconciliation. Reconciliation. Jesus said pretty much the same thing, not talking about communion specifically, but talking about worship. He said if you come to the altar to bring your gift and you remember there that your brother has something against you, not even that you have something against him, just like you know things aren't right. He says, Leave leave your gift there. First, go be reconciled, then come back and give your gift. It's the same principle. Worship is not an individual affair. We're the people of God. Uh, one week I was out in the foyer, most of the people had left church, and uh, someone came up to me and he said, hey, can we talk? And I said, sure. He said, uh, I didn't take communion, I, didn't, I, don't, I wanted to talk to somebody first. And here's, here's, here's what ended up happening. He has a friend who's, who's living in sin, and he was trying to counsel that friend, and he felt like maybe he didn't bring the kind of correction he needed to in that friend's life. And, and in doing so, he felt like maybe he wasn't loving him as God had called him to love him. And he felt so pricked by it, he, he couldn't take communion. And I look down, and he's, he's holding the piece of bread in his hand, and he's kind of, it's kind of shaking. And I, I just love the sensitivity of that man's conscience. That he would take it so seriously as to work through that before taking the meal. He doesn't want to be a hypocrite. If he's not going to love his brother the way God calls him to, he, he wants to make sure he's not taking the meal in that moment. So we talked through it and we took the meal together. But it was good for him to confess and for us to work it out and counsel. How that works out practically is so hard. Because it's like, wait, if someone's bothering me, can I not take the, I would never take the meal. Somebody in here is bothering me every week, right? Because there is a sense where I'm just, we're to endure with one another, to bear with, to put up with each other. So I don't think that's it. It's really hard to work out. But here, here's kind of a litmus test. Is there anyone in the room with whom it would be uncomfortable for you to take the meal with? Right? Is there somebody in the room that if you came down, I'm holding the cup, and it's just you two, and you both reach in, and you both take bread from the same loaf, and you both dip it in the same cup, and you look at each the eye, and you take it. You take the body and blood of Jesus into you, looking at each other. Could you do that without feeling awkward or tense with that person? Is there somebody in the room that you couldn't do that with? And I think this is what Paul's saying— Go reconcile with that person. Make things right. At least acknowledge that things are not right and commit to getting together to talk about it and then come feast together and put your hope in Christ. I think that's the litmus test. So the gospel meal reminds us that we've been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus and that we've been reconciled to one another through faith in Jesus. We've been united in him. And then there's just one more thing that I don't have time for so we're just gonna condense this to make it really brief. The meal says we've been reconciled to God, we've been called into a community, that meal also has this missional aspect to it, that we're a witness to the world. And it's in verse 29. Jesus says, I tell you, I'm not going to drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day. Like, I am going to drink again, and it's going to be on that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus has already said in his ministry, the kingdom of God is at hand, but now he's saying the kingdom of God will come. And that's, that's right. It has come, but not in full. It will come in full. And so meanwhile, the meal is just a, a continual foretaste of the feast that is to come. And when you do that every week, when you continue to fill your mind with the hope of the kingdom to come, it changes you because it speaks to your identity, right? It reminds you that this is not home. We are citizens of another kingdom. And so we become the kind of people who aren't looking for saviors in this world because we have a savior who is coming again. It reminds us of our purpose. It speaks to us at that level. Because if our hope and our trust and our anticipation is for the kingdom to come, then our work, our ambition, our aspiration is to pray and to work for God's kingdom to come. For his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if if a community of people begin to live that way, don't you think that that has an effect on the world that's watching I'm not saying that every single week you come down here, you'll have some sort of personal revival around identity and purpose. That's, that's not how it works. Right, if you eat one healthy meal, that doesn't mean you're healthy. That's a New Year's resolution, right? If you eat lots of healthy meals over time, that changes you. It forms you. It makes you healthy. And I think as you're faithfully present with the people of God, And with simple faith you take the bread and the wine and you look to Jesus who was broken and whose blood was shed for you. And you take that into you. Here's what I think happens. I think the Spirit of God attends the meal. And in some profound and mysterious way, Christ is present with us. Ministering to us, nourishing us with the grace of God. And if you take that meal in every week, it just forms you And changes you. And it makes you the kind of person who's a powerful witness to the world around you without you even knowing it. The meal is a gospel meal. God is saying, I give you my son. In him is life, in him is community, in him is purpose, in him is joy, in him is peace. Take, eat, drink, all of you. And we respond in repentance and in faith. Just a little bit later in, in Bach's play, this line is sung. I will give my heart to thee. Sink thyself in it, my salvation. I will submerge myself in thee. And I think when we take the communion meal We're asking God to sink the realities of the gospel deep into our soul. And we will, with everything we have, submerge ourselves into him so that his life becomes ours. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.